Thank you so much. You'll know why we're doing this in just a few moments. We're trying to um, continue our series on the ever-increasing sacrificial generosity. And one of the things I'm going to emphasize this morning is the relationships that formed as brothers and sisters are united in Christ. So trying to do a little something that reaches across some barriers. So thank you so much. Um, I'm going to try to do a couple things with you this morning, if you'll let me, the next, in the next moments. I have a key sentence I'd like to emphasize. And the sentence is, we want to move together from common ground to higher ground. And that comes from Josh Dotzler, who was here about a year ago, pastor from Omaha, Nebraska. And he talked about that, and then we kind of picked it up and run with it a little bit. Last week, Clay talked about it, and I want to emphasize it again. We want to move from common ground to higher ground. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, this morning, looking at Acts 2 and Acts 4, I'm going to suggest we go to higher ground by, coming, by creating a sense of family. And I'll talk about how that got formed many years ago and how it can be formed today. But we also go from common ground to higher ground as we battle what I'm calling, I created a phrase, eternity amnesia. So we, we move from common ground to higher ground by creating family and by moving from a forgetfulness of what is to come. And how do we do that? I'm going to use the word cross-shaped giving. So now I need, I need you to give me the first five or seven minutes, would you give me just a little bit of grace? Because we're going to read from Acts 2 and Acts 4. And what I typically hear and people email me is, oh boy, we're talking communism and socialism again. I'd like to reframe that and explain context to you today. Because if you understand the context, the movement from common ground to higher ground makes sense. I'll just give you a preview. In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out. And the text of Acts 2 says that the Holy Spirit is poured out and people from all around the world who were in Jerusalem heard about Jesus in their own language. And all of a sudden, people who were Jews by ethnicity, but were from countries all across the known world, moved from their common ground of being Jews to a higher ground of being brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me unpack that for you just a minute, if I, if I may. And I need a big umbrella of mercy here. So at the present time, according to that, those who study the American culture, not very many Americans are all that engaged in the things of Christ and his kingdom. The studies I read say about 7% of American people really are committed to Christ and his kingdom, about 7 to 8%, so a relatively small number. Okay, now I'm gonna play with you now. I need an umbrella of mercy. So someday when Jesus returns, there'll be a new heaven and new earth. If the present figures Hold. Listen now. There'll be more Chinese brothers and sisters than there'll be American brothers and sisters in heaven. If the numbers hold, there'll be more brothers and sisters from Africa than from North America. So common ground can often be our ethnicities but the higher ground is being a brother, a sister in Christ. So that's what happened in this first century 
all of a sudden, everything shifted. And out of that became an incredibly generous people. Now, before for our guests, today at the end of the service, if you wish to receive a hard copy, there's an annual report. There's a booklet, a reference that is all the elders and deacon candidates for, for election. But on page four of the six of the annual report are, are three directional statements. And remind you, the purpose, the purpose for this church is called the ends policy. And there are three parts to it. Here it are. We've been talking about this now since January. People who come in contact with us will increasingly experience three things. The fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Two, people who come and contact us will meet a people who are growing in intimacy with the triune God. We've called that the circle of love. And the third piece, people who come in contact with us will find a people who are growing in ever-increasing sacrificial generosity. So that's what we're poking at today. What does it mean like to become an ever-increasing sacrificial people? But it starts with understanding that we're family. So all the setup, this. Let's talk about, before we get your page numbers for Acts 2, please. Can you give that, please? Hey, thanks, Kevin. Kevin to Kevin. Way to go, buddy. That's Kevin back there. That's who I'm talking to. <laughs> I'm gonna, I don't typically read, but I, I want to do a little bit of historical stuff with you here before I read Acts 2. So in the first chapter of Acts, first chapters, we find a fledgling church in Jerusalem facing enormous crises. What were the crises we faced, the church faced? Jerusalem was under occupation of hostile powers. Thousands of Jews are being crucified on the major roadways. Revolution was the air. Multiple messiahs were saying they came to set the Jews free and they were being killed. The majority of the people who lived in Israel struggled even to eat. Israel was known as a people of abject poverty. So if they were going to function, families survive by creating networks of connection. And in those networks of connection, listen, everyone worked and everyone gave. Everyone sacrificed so everyone could be included. Everyone submitted so the families could function. But when 3,000 Jews from all over the known world came to faith in the crucified and risen Jesus, many of them stuck around. So the 12 disciples all of a sudden found 3,000 people from all around the world, and they had no food. They had no place to stay. They had no relationships. Which leads us to Acts 2. Acts 2, 42 to 47. What did the disciples do? 42 to 47. This is one of six summary statements in the book of Acts. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, that's the summary of what's to come. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. And that phrase is all together in one accord, in one mind. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And I hear people say, that's communism, that's socialism. Just wait. Verse 20, 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, 
praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord had added to their number daily those who are being saved. Now turn over to chapter 4. Here's the second of six summaries. 32 to 35. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work among them that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to everyone who had need. Now, take, those, take that. Let me just read a little more now. What happened was these 3,000 people became a family. Now, let me stop for a second. In the day of Jesus, what was the average length of life for a person in Jesus' day? We project, we guess it was around 30, about 30 years. So in that day, your mother and father were not nearly as important as your brother or your sister because your parents were going to die. So what happened when Jesus created a family? They became brothers and sisters. No longer were they just Jews, all Jews, nor were they people from different countries. They were now brothers and sisters. So the game began to change. What happens in these families? It's easy for us to read the passage and think it's like communism or socialism. Let me explain it now. This is from historical records. This group of people became family, and families in the ancient world didn't just consume together, they produced together. So listen to what happens now. Men would go out in groups to tend flocks, work as fishermen, or they would try in groups to be hired as day laborers, while women might, st- might create small kitchen gardens and run home-based businesses, spinning wool or making tents. Children contributed to the family because the children made the food, preparing meals and much else. The revenue, tools, social connections, and even living spaces were shared by these families. So the picture we have is not people just selling their houses and just throwing money away. It's of people doing everything they could together so that everyone ate. Everyone had a place to stay. Everyone had relationships with people who cared. So, the sharing of possessions, it became a place where everyone had a stake. So let's talk about Barnabas, chapter 4, 36 and 37. Barnabas takes a piece of land and he sells it. What did he do with it? This is what historians think. He sold, he was a wealthy man. He sold a piece of land. What did he do with it? We think money was the apostles and they said to people, here, buy equipment to farm. Here, women, buy equipment to spin and make make yarn. Here, children, here's money to buy food. And occasionally, people would give money and it would be dispersed in the community so that everyone could eat. Everyone worked. Everyone gave. Everyone sacrificed. Everyone participated. So on the day of Pentecost, when 3,000 people become followers of Jesus, all of a sudden, the disciples said, we've got to create a sense of family. So let's talk about that just a little bit. Now, let me 
You, you follow me okay? You see the historical context here? Slide six, Kevin. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me walk you through this a little bit now. I'm gonna go back to what I talked about in May 23. If we believe Jesus is a king, and we're changing metaphors, we're talking about a king and a kingdom in this series. We are instructed to participate in his economy and we remove obstacles that prohibit right belief and right behavior. Now, I want, I want you to think with me about this. And I've said this many, many times. How we think affects how we feel, which affects how we live. Is that fair? So the, the old theologian would say the single most important person about a most important thought, the most important thing about any person is what she or he thinks about God. Because what we think about God affects how we relate to God and each other. So, right thinking, right behavior. So, do you remember what I said some weeks ago? Matthew 6, right thinking. What did Jesus say in Matthew 6, 21? Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Remember the whole conversation? You cannot serve God in money. Mammon is a name for a demon. We can't serve both. So he said, you have to decide. And then in chapter 633, he said, seek first his kingdom, his kingdom and his righteousness and what you need to be given to you. So when this new church is formed, these words of Jesus were part of their community. People remembered things Jesus had said and they began to share the sayings of Jesus. So here now, here are all these people who've come to the, become brothers and sisters and now they're having to say what they're gonna do with it. So let me just stop for a second. As you think about that, as you self-examine, do you have right beliefs about who our God is? Your God, our God. So St. Paul writes about be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I've used this story with you many times, but maybe one more time. When our son died, I had to decide, no, I had already decided what I believed about God. I believe fundamentally that God is good. So even when Kirk dies, God is good. So right belief affects right behavior. Just self-examination. Do you have, do you believe that God is good to you? in hard, 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 hard situations. Because that's so critical. Well, let me go a little farther now. Let me take you to number nine. Then we're gonna move to application here. Number nine. In a way that is foundational and life-shaping, the love of money replaces the love for God and neighbor in our hearts. Remember now, right thinking affects right behavior. Jesus said you cannot serve God and money. If you love the one, you hate the other. If you love the one, you hate the other. We cannot serve God and money. Why? 
Because whoever is our God begins to shape how we live, how we think, how we act. So go back to the previous two slides, Kevin. Watch what happens when money becomes, things become so critical. One barrier to both belief and alignment is the relationship we share with things. So this is my observation. And this comes just, just a preview. Lord willing, if I'm still alive, we're still here. In September, we begin a new ministry year. And the first series, beginning in September, will be on the book of Ecclesiastes. The next two slides, I'll come from Ecclesiastes chapter five. The more we have, the more we need. The more we have, the less we are satisfied. The more we have, the more people will come after it. The more we have, the more we have to worry about. The more we have, the more we hurt ourselves by hoarding it. The more we have, the more we have to lose. The more we have, the more we'll leave behind. Next slide, please, Kevin. In a way that is foundational and life-shaping, how we respond to money, how we relate to things, affects our relationship with God and our relationship with people. Why? The Old Testament says the gods we worship become the gods who we look like, who we act like. So mammon fundamentally is about self-possessions. Economists use a phrase like this, homo economicus. Homo economicus, and I'm paraphrasing, is a worldview about things that says life is about acquiring as much as I can so I can have sufficient money to have as much pleasure as I want for as long as I live until I die. If that is true, I worship mammon. Let me think it's to worship now. In the Luke 4 temptation narrative, the word for worship can also be translated serve. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Whoever my God is, is the one I serve. And what we don't realize is our God entraps us. So now, now what does it have to do with Acts 2 and Acts 4? Because if we're going to go from common ground to higher ground, we have to say, Lord, I want to be committed to you and your kingdom. So let me take you a little farther here. So have you beat the idea of family into the ground far enough? <laughs> Is that my minute clear? We go from common ground to higher ground by saying we are part of a family. Now let me just talk about family one more time and neighbors because I get a lot, of, a lot of emails about this. So please listen carefully now. I'm of the opinion at this age and study, 40 years of being a pastor, I don't think everyone is our neighbors. I think, I would argue, we, we have a relatively small group of neighbors. There are many people in our world, our workplaces, our schools that we need to be kind to and have relationships with. But if we're going to love the Lord our God and love our neighbors and ourselves, we can't love everybody. So the number is small. So one more time. It starts with the people with whom we live. And then it goes out to another circle 
a relatively small group of people, classmates, schoolmates, workmates, and maybe a few others. It is probable that most of us have less than 15 real neighbors. So the text of Scripture says, love the Lord your God, vertical, with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and love your 15 people as you love yourself. Now what does that have to do with Acts 2? Acts 4. Somehow the Lord is calling us into a larger family. And so if all of us love our own neighbors, our 15-ish, 20 people, if we all love our neighbors, pretty soon what begins to happen? Everyone is loved. How do we love these people? Cross-based living and giving. Cross-based. You shall love the Lord your God with heart and soul and mind and strength. So let's just talk about money for that phrase. The Jews of that time were expected, were expected to tithe, which meant 10% of whatever it is a person received was to be given to the Lord. But there were also offerings and alms. So a Pharisee, someone like me, was expected to give away 23% of gross. So that was meant, that's how you show love for God. I'm going to be very generous to Christ and his kingdom. And that's why two weeks ago, I just stopped and tried to say, thank you, congregation, for your generosity. But the text also says, not just loving God, now you love your neighbors yourself. So what does that mean? How is it played out? And what inhibits it? So watch this, slide number 10. This is how it gets inhibited. If we worship the wrong God, the poor choice leads to diminishing relationships with both God and our neighbor. Because if I'm giving my heart to mammon, if mammon holds me, if mammon entraps me, then I don't, I just, well, the next phrase, we develop eternal amnesia. What am I talking about? It's a phrase I just made up. Eternal amnesia is living for now because that's all there is. So can I, can I have a really big umbrella of mercy? Really, really big. How do we, how, do I pray more for believers who are sick than unbelievers who have no relationship with Jesus? So if I developed COVID and I died, I will be with Jesus. It's all good. But my friend Jose, who works for Excel, who does not have a relationship, if he dies, what about his future? So eternal amnesia says, I've got, I got to get everything I can right now. I've got, I've, got, I've, I've, got, I've got to get it now because I'm only living for now and I have forgotten that we will live forever. Eternal amnesia does this. And I'm so worried I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die and not have enough fun before I'm dead. Well, we're going to be with Jesus forever. That's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, wait, let's see. Come on. Lighten up, right? But 
we lose, so we lose, we just think living right now. How about this one? We get eternal amnesia because we think our material possessions can satisfy us. Now, I don't have my numbers real straight, but those who measure the human body and the release of positive hormones have done studies about how good it feels to purchase something new and how long it lasts. It's relatively brief. So I buy something new and there's a rush, there's an adrenal rush of some kind, endomorphins or something, I'm just, oh, it feels really good. An hour later, it's like, eh, what else can I buy? And the issue is not consumption. I, I want to feel good. I want to experience something good. I would, and what I find is material things don't satisfy. Am I speaking the truth? But eternal amnesia comes in one other way. We think paradise can be experienced now. So if I just, if I just, if I, if I, if I just, if I just make enough money, I can experience Disneyland in Pella now. If I just have the right house or car or vacations or, then I, so can I just say this very carefully? I've said this before. Many of us want to be on a cruise ship, but the reality is our lives are on a battleship. We're in a war. We are in a spiritual battle that is unrelenting. So eternal amnesia says, I got to get what I can right now because I want to feel good right now and I want to experience paradise right now. But it's not true. So that's why Jesus, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. I want to live really, I, I want to be rich, I want my kids to be great, I want to have wonderful grandkids. I want to be able to go to wherever I want in the world and blah, 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 blah. And then, and then I want to die. I want to die in a heart attack and don't want to suffer. I just want to go right straight, right to heaven. Now, I'm exaggerating, but I'm not. Don't we all want that? We all just want life fun and easy and good, blah, blah. And then Jesus says to us, in this world, you will experience tribulation. But be of good cheer, he said. I've overcome the world. So eternity amnesia focuses me so narrowly. So how do we break this thing? So that brings me to slide number 12. And that is cross-shaped giving. And by that I mean vertical, loving God, horizontal, loving our neighbors. Again, neighbors, we're talking relatively small number. We're going to be kind to everyone. Absolutely. Please don't, don't misunderstand me. Let me back you up. Why are we talking about bearing the fruit of the Spirit? Because the fruit of the Spirit is supposed to be with everybody. Everywhere we are sent, everywhere we go, people should experience from us, from all of us. They should experience from us love and joy. This is, these, are, these are bad people, hurtful people, yucky people. Everyone should experience the fruit of the Spirit because that's Christ in us. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory, living his life through us. Amen? That's what happens. And that's why we want to grow in intimacy with the triune God that we know no matter what happens, we cannot be separated from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We know that. We believe it. We cling to that. Which allows us to say, okay, I can be generous. I can be sacrificial. So I asked 
Mike Redmond and I were talking together this week, and I asked Mike as we were preparing for today, and I don't think I speak out of school. I said, Mike, do you know anybody in your life that gives money sacrificially? And Mike said, no, I don't. Well, can I ask you, us? Do you know a name of a person who is sacrificial in what she or he gives to other people? And let's not just, just money. It could be spirit. It can be encouragement. All kinds of things. My question is, do you know anyone who gives sacrificially? Second question. When's the last time you and I gave sacrificially? Is there someone in this past week who could say, Kevin gave something sacrificial to me and I experienced the goodness of the king's economy through him? How about welcoming? How do we welcome people into the family of God? What are they doing in Acts 2 and Acts 4? They just created, I work, you work. I give, you give. We create spaces for work, opportunities. We work together. We share life together. We pray together. And you know what's into all this? There were signs and wonders released. I want to talk about that for just a moment. I believe, in my opinion, it is when the agapao of God is experienced at high levels when people are loved for who they are because of Jesus, when the words and truth of Christ are expressed, when generosity is part of the experience, I think we see powerful moves of the Holy Spirit. And all this together became people just saying, whatever that is, I want it. It's not, I, I want that. I, I, want, I want this, this, this the king's economy. See, this is the king's economy. People are welcomed and loved. People are known. Let me push. But as an individualistic culture, highly influenced by Greek and Roman thought, we live like this. Let me push. May I push? We need to love our neighbors well. St. Paul writes, I have no good things to say about you. Some of you are not working and caring for those you love. If there, and push, in our 15, 20 people, there needs to be a reciprocity of giving and sharing of loving, of encouraging, of blessing, of sacrificing. And as that happens, we experience as a body, in all these subsets, the king's economy. And the goodness of the Lord is expressed. And the kingdom of God comes. And people are healed and freed and, and, and they get sent. It's interesting, 10 years later, Acts chapter eight, verse one, they are sent. Interesting. They just follow me with money. Later on, St. Paul goes to a bunch of poor people in Macedonia. These are all slaves. And the mother church in Jerusalem, who's under persecution and is poor, this was the mother church, the slaves in Macedonia send money to support the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And I'm paraphrasing the text. Sometimes... They have, 
and they don't. So they share with them. And sometimes they have, and they don't. And they share. Could there be a day in our future when people from the third world will send money to America because we are so poor? There are more Christians in China than America. There are more Christians in Africa than America. There are more Christians in Latin America than America. What goes around comes around. Generosity, kingdom economy, affects all kinds of people in all kinds of ways over long periods of time. Well, can I ask you to participate with each other for just a moment, for a few minutes? Slide number 13. So I wonder if we could just take a couple minutes. We're not going to have any music at the back end today. This is it. Could I invite us again like we did a couple weeks ago? Could we take, can, can, we, can we do five minutes? If you're comfortable, could you share with someone around you? Where might the king, Jesus, invite you to go from common ground to higher ground through one act, one time, one action of cross-shaped giving. So if you don't understand it, ask the person next to you. Let's take about, now four minutes. On your marks, get set, go. And if you don't want to talk, pretend you're praying.
Okay, does anybody want to, can we just share a little bit? I, I have permission to talk, I met with, talk with Eric, and Eric is going through a difficult patch, and he said, I don't have any money to give, I don't have money, but I have time, and I have love. So he's investing in some people who are also in a challenging place, and that's how he's trying to be about sacrificial cross-shaped giving. So Eric, thank you. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Somebody else, anybody, what, what's the Holy Spirit prompting? Cross-shaped giving. Yeah, wow. Well. Well, I made a good point. So he said that, that if, if, you, if you have love in a family, you're willing to share in your family. So the feeling, the sense of us being a family is, is really important. We become, so we are the body, we're the family of God. We're adopted in. See, this is this, one of the great challenges we're facing as the American church. Our younger generations are pushing back against traditional church. One, for many reasons, one of which is they don't see relationships. So, uh, you know how it is, we can, we can just drive to our homes, close the garage door, and never talk to anybody next door, but we're talking to somebody in China or someone in India or people all over the world, but we're not even connecting in our own households and with our closest people. But if this idea that we are brothers and sisters actually catches on, then we're willing to make some sacrifices for those we love. So do you see the challenge we're facing? We're facing centuries, generations here in America of people who have been trained and taught we work hard, we're individuals, we, we provide for ourselves, we do what we need to do, we don't ask for help. That's maybe just our tradition, but for many people. And how different it is when we just say, I need you, would you pray for me? I'm struggling with this, I need help with that. It's very difficult. At, at, at Wayne's funeral, and it was a beautiful, beautiful funeral. But one of the things that was said about Wayne was that he, it was very difficult for him to accept things from people. He, need, he wanted to project that he was self-sufficient. And I think in the wedding on Friday night, the pastor who officiated used this story. Um, he told a story about me. Um, about 20-some years ago, 25 years ago, I went to one of the senior citizen places in Pella, and I was calling on one of our senior saints who was not well, and, um, and in the conversation, this person was having some physical problems, some mental problems, but in the context of it, this older woman said to me, you know what I'm experiencing here? And I said, no. She said, I have been so busy for so long, and now I'm infirm, I'm in a wheelchair, I have one room, and now I'm finding I can be engaged with a few people, but more than that, with them I'm engaging with the Lord. And I just have a question, will it take enormous tragedies and losses for us to say I want to figure out how to be a good neighbor to my 15 people? I want to push this a little bit. If all of us were a good neighbor to our 15, 
So I just want, let me just play numbers with you. Before COVID, about 3,000 people worshiped here together. If 3,000 people all were a neighbor to 15, how many people would be touched in the course of a week? 45,000. What if those 45,000 people love their neighbors? You see how this ripples out? But here's the challenge. I, I can be so self-absorbed. So one thing the Holy Spirit's doing, I think, is he's creating opportunities, challenges, situations where we're saying, I, I need you. Will you help me? Will you pray for me? Will you accept my brokenness, my sinfulness, my proclivity to making poor choices? Will you, will you not reject me? Will you not shame me when I again fall into my sin patterns? Will you pray for me and I pray that I can break free? And then what happens? We do become brothers and sisters. And then what happens? We're generous of spirit. We're generous with our words. We're generous with our heart. And as we are capable, we're generous with our, with our pocketbooks. So let me close with this. I just want to say thank you again. Two weeks ago, I said it one more time. I want to say thank you for all the ways as a congregation you are generous. Generous of heart, generous of spirit, generous of resources. I am so grateful I get to be your neighbor. Let's pray. Lord, we bless you and we thank you and we praise you. You're inviting us into something beautiful. You're a good, good king, and you love your people. So help us to join you in creating a beautiful community where every woman, every man, every boy, every girl is welcomed, where there's more than enough for all, and people are drawn to you because of the love we express to each other. So Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple quick announcements, just so you know. Please be mindful at the doors or online. We have elders and deacons, and I just put a plug. This is a wonderful thing. Pictures of every candidate, elders and deacons, and a bio on them. Family Ministries has a quarterly magazine called Encounter. It's available and the Anna reports. And the last thing, we have communion now. We're back to having communion. An elder or elders will serve you communion. If you'd like the ministry of prayer, we invite you to go outside. Go to the light, go around the pond, and there are people there willing and able to pray with you and for you. And if you leave, leave with the blessing of the Lord. So may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, may the love of God our Father, may the presence and power of the Holy Spirit go with you now and always. Amen. Bless a brother or sister on the way out.